Well, good morning. I sound like I'm in a fish tank. There we go. Uh, good morning. Welcome to 2008. Good to see your faces here this morning. And um, you guys all shocked that it's 2008? Anyone with me on that? Yeah. Time's going quicker and quicker, it seems. Um, good to be back here together. Uh, Rob was gone in Arkansas, as he mentioned. And, uh, you know, it's funny how... Um, Absence makes a heart grow fonder. I don't know if any of you traveled uh, this holiday season, but I did. And uh, when you go away, it always feels good to come home and just come back to a place. And uh, I know some of you traveled because I talked to some of you about your trips and whatnot. And um, it's just good. It's good to be together again. I look forward to being with you guys on Sunday mornings. This is a great time of my week is to be here with you. Um, this morning we're starting, as Rob mentioned, a brand new series. We're calling it Church in HD. And I have a confession to make. I don't know if some of you um, want to get real with me and, and acknowledge this, this as well. But um, I, I envied over the holiday season. And uh, I just want to come clean with that. Um, now, it wasn't over other people's gifts. Okay, A lot of times what happens, I had three brothers growing up. So as you're opening, you're looking at what your brother's getting over there. And you're like, I want it, whatever it is. You know, there's a lot of envy that goes on when we open gifts. But my envy was over my father-in-law's TV. Now, i got to tell you, we don't watch a ton of TV in our home. I love watching the Sharks. I love watching the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, there's a couple of shows. I know some of you are like, this guy can't have anything good to say if he likes the Cowboys. But it's true. And I didn't like them just this year. Don't even get on me about that. I had Dallas Cowboys underoos when I was a kid, so that proves it. Um, but I'll tell you what, when I watch my TV, I never, I never sit there and think, oh, I wish I had a bigger TV, I wish I had a better TV. I really don't. I sit there and I contently watch my TV, which was given to me by my father-in-law as a Christmas gift several years ago, uh, which replaced a super old TV that we had. But when I go up to my father-in-law's house, he has this widescreen, flat, HD TV that just makes everything look amazing. You sit there and watch a football game and you almost get grass stains just watching it. It's like, oh, it's so amazing. And, uh, and you can watch it from across the room and read subtitles if you want. I mean, it's just amazing to sit there and, and watch his TV. And, um, and so then I, I tell him, I say, you know, Dad, I say, whenever I come and watch TV at your house... Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to count the pixels on my TV screen. I'm going to see them. I'm going to see people's head look a little more square than they are. And it's just going to frustrate me. Thank you so much, Dad. You know, I just get on them about that. Um, so we're not, we're not HD TV ready in our house. Uh, some, of you have, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because you've never tasted of quality, quality TV. One day you will. HD TV. High-definition television refers to this, higher resolution, that is, more lines that make up the image. Now, my father-in-law, he's hilarious. You ask him one question, one tiny question about what HDTV is or Blu-ray or any of that, he will give you a 25-minute answer, and after two minutes, it's wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-w
What if, what if our picture of the church is a little bit like the TV that my current TV replaced? It's a little fuzzy. There's a couple of pixels that just stay whatever color they choose, no matter what the signal is. Uh, there's kind of a layer of dust on it. Uh, some of you remember, you know, banging the side of your TV to kind of like get it to work again. I remember my parents watch, let me watch so few amount of TV like growing up that basically when we got to watch it, it was a huge thrill to us. My brother and I, no joke, we would sit and watch the test patterns. They used to have color test pattern kids where they would show nothing but color bars on your TV screen. And when it would get fuzzy, one of us would hold the, the TV antennas like this. Is that a good? And we'd hold it there to watch the test. And that's how deprived of TV we were, okay? Um, but maybe our vision of church is like that. Maybe our picture of church is, is coming in real fuzzy. Maybe, maybe the ideal of what we hold up as what church should be like has been shaped by our experience, and maybe that experience hasn't been top-notch. Maybe it's cultural. Rob just mentioned Arkansas. He loves to tell, I love to hear about Arkansas from Rob because he was raised there. And so I just go, Rob, how would this play out in Arkansas? And he'll tell me. And he's right. Everything seems different in Arkansas. I've never been there before. But church is different in Arkansas. Church is different here for all of you who are sitting here. You all have a, a preconceived idea of what church is. And what we want to do in the month of January is quite simply this. We want to look at the scriptures. It's God's church. We want to hear from God's word on what the church ought to be about. And how applicable is this for us as a church right now? We're, we're just over one years old as a church. So we're still sort of forming who we are and what we're about. Some are brand new Christians in here. 2008 will be the first full year you will have been a part of God's family. Isn't that thrilling? So you're figuring out what church is all about. It's not a club. It's not something you join. And, and we're going we're to look into all of this stuff. And the Bible provides several metaphors. There's all kinds of word pictures for the church. And what we've done is we've picked just four. And we're going to basically look at these four uh, metaphors. The first one here this morning um, is, is the word family. Now, before we get to, um, to that, let me just say one second thing about this, is that we're also going to be looking at these seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. If you, if, if, if you want some bonus reading or, or a place to read, and you want to look at what church is like, I want to direct your attention, not right now, but just write this down, Revelation chapter 3. And in Revelation chapter 3, basically, starting in 2, actually 2 and 3, Jesus is talking to these seven churches. He's going around and he's saying things to these different churches. Now, I was preparing for this series. I knew we were doing this series in January. And at Thanksgiving time, I was doing devotions at one of my favorite places, which is my father-in-law's house, father and mother-in-law's house in Eldorado Hills. And I was reading through the book of Revelation about these churches. And as I read it, dawned on me, I thought, you know... Yeah, they say some negative things. Jesus says, you did this, 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 and this. Good job. But I have this against you. Remember that? Some of you, this sounds familiar. You guys did this, 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 and this. But you're not doing this. And what dawned on me was this. We tend to focus on what they're not doing. But what's amazing as you read through Revelation 2 and 3, you see seven churches that are doing a lot of things really, really well. And a part of how we are going to learn what we should be about as a church is we're going to look at what these churches in Revelation did well. And we want to learn from where they were reprimanded, where they were disciplined a little bit. I have two older brothers. Now, one older brother is just a year and a half older than me. And um, as we were starting to go through high school, um, 
my parents laid down a, a, a curfew, especially once we hit 16 and could drive ourselves. They said, okay, your curfew is, is such and such. And if you go past your curfew, if you show up at our house past your curfew, there's going to be issues. There's going to be discipline for it, right? Sound familiar to anyone? You guys have some curfews growing up? Okay. So here was the deal with it. For every one minute that you're late past curfew, you will work one hour around the house. Bonus. Good idea, huh, parents? Kids are like, no, don't give ideas to the folks. They're doing just fine. So my brother John uh, is a year and a half older than me, and, um, and he got his license. Now, I'm, I'm about 14. I'm watching him go through life, and, um, and my brother has always had an issue with time. It's amazing. He, he came home several minutes past curfew, and um, guess what happened? I watched. I mean, I'm watching my parents, right, to see if they're going to follow through on this. Well, guess what? My brother got a bonus afternoon of work around the house. In, in the first, like, summer of him getting his license, no joke, we got our entire back fence painted. We got a huge stump removed that my dad, like, couldn't get out himself. I mean, all kinds of work got done from my brother. And he just couldn't get it. Now, here's what smart 14-year-old Dave did. I'm taking notes, right? I don't know. I'll have to check with my dad on this. But I don't know that I ever did work for being late on curfew. Ever. Why? Because I learned from my brother that one minute of bonus time being out on a Friday night is not worth, to me, one hour of work some other time killing my free time. So mostly it wasn't about obedience. It was about my own pleasure and not wanting to work. I think that was really the main thing. But bottom line is I learned from my brother, right? I watched him go through some things. I didn't have to experience the pain of that. I just learned from it and made adjustments in my life. Here's what I want us to do as a church. We're a young, we're, we're a young church. We have some older siblings in the faith, churches that have gone through some things. What I want to do with, with this series is I want to look at some of those churches in Revelation and say, what were they commended for? Because you know what? We ought to be mimicking those things, shouldn't we? If Jesus is saying, good job, church. I see your work in this area. Good job. We ought to take notice and go, man, that pleases our master. That pleases dad. We ought to do that. But when Jesus comes along and says, I have this against you, church. We ought to take notice of that. And we ought to say, man, I don't want Jesus to take issue with that in my life. I want to learn from that. So that's where we're going in this series. Here's, here's um, well, why don't you just do this? Turn, turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in Romans chapter 8. You're going to be turning to a lot of different passages this morning. Um, but as you're turning to Romans chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 14, I want you just to picture the word family and what comes to mind with it. Good, bad, or ugly. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that they the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. And you knew where you were then. Guys were girls and men were men. Mr. We could use a man like Raymond Hoover again. Didn't need no welfare states. Everybody pulled his weight. Gee, our old lost sour and great. 
please turn it off. I let that run the whole way because for some of you, you, you think of your family and it's grinding. It's like that. It's a little annoying, perhaps. Some of you have great families that you came from and that you are from. Some of you have really, really rough family backgrounds, and it's just a part of who you are, and God's allowed you to heal from it part way, maybe all the way, maybe none of the way, and that's why you're in church this morning. But all in the family, there's a picture. We have all kinds of pictures on TV and in movies of, of what families are like, and I take the good ones to, to mean this, that we have an ideal. We understand what a family should be like. The reason that a kid feels ripped off if mom and dad aren't around is because they have it in their head of how a family should be. The reason we can create a you know, Cosby family type show or in a movie where something goes just right is because we have an ideal in our head. We, 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 know, we, we know of how it should be. But maybe some of you start to wonder, is that really how it can be? Is that realistic? There's been a huge shift in movies, TV, and pictures that say, yeah, that's not realistic at all. Let's do more from our own experience. And here's what it really looks like. Here's what family's really about. And it's kind of depressing sometimes to, to look at those. You know, the Bible doesn't shy away from truth. The Bible doesn't just take the glistening examples and say, here, here's what... Here's what we all should be doing. I think part of why God did that is we'd always see the ideal and just go, man, we can never attain to that. And maybe we'd be discouraged. Just think about families for a moment. Again, starting in Genesis. Some of you are reading through the Bible this year, perhaps, and you're, and you're reading through the book of Genesis. You don't get very far into it be, before you have two brothers, right? And one brother is killing the other brother. And you don't get too far into it before God says, I'm going to flood this entire thing and wipe out these people except for Noah and his household because it's all evil all the time, everywhere. Look at the family of Joseph. If you don't know the family of Joseph, the family story of Joseph, read his family history because it might shed light on the fact that yours isn't so bad. Hey, Let's sell our brother into slavery. Okay? I know you get picked on younger siblings. I have two older brothers. But it's probably not so bad that they're trying to sell you into slavery. I realize that as we talk about these different metaphors, sometimes there's some redeeming that has to happen. If your picture of family is, is somewhat like we just heard, or your, your picture of family is really messed up, then to share that God is a loving, heavenly Father does nothing for you. You just go, man, I know how my dad treated me. Um, I was hoping God would be nothing like that. To hear that you're, you're being invited into a family does nothing for you. You're like, man, I already got enough problems with my own family, my physical family. Why on earth would I need more? I pray that God will redeem your image of a family. God's very nature, think about this, is relational. How does he describe himself to us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. If you think about it, God is the perfect family kind of within himself. And the way he describes it, there's a mystery to this, and we're not speaking on the Trinity this morning, but the very way he's revealed himself to us is relational. It's, it's family language. And I think that's something to pay attention to. Um, 
Here's, here's, an, here's an interesting thought, too, is, is you think about God as, as this perfect family unit within himself. He's already relationally content. He's not lonely within himself. That means this, that as God designed and created us, as God designed us to be in family, community with him, it wasn't because he needed us. It wasn't because he needed a family. Everyone in this room needs a family. It's how we're wired. God desired a family. He wanted a family. Just write this down. I know that you're in Romans, but write down Ephesians 1.5. It says this, His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave Him great pleasure. The picture of the church as family is this idea that God wants us in His family. You may not want your family anymore. There may be days this last week that you just said, I don't want my family. There may be days this week that your family said, good, because we don't want you. That's the way it works in a family sometimes. We're sin scarred. We're broken. We need redeeming. We need God in our lives. But God says, man, from day one, I have wanted and desired a family. Now catch this. Every single person in this room and on earth was created by God, but not every person on this earth is in God's family. The reason we know this is because the Bible says you must be born again into God's family. God's family. Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 14, read with me. It says this. <clears throat> I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Some of you have NIV or, or uh, something else that may read a little different, but here's what it says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ... We are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. Now, if you have, uh, if you have your, your bulletin this morning and you're taking notes, I want you to pull this out. I want you to look at it for a second. As we work our way through four different metaphors in the four weeks um, of January, we're going to look at, at, four, at four elements, basically, to it. The first is the idea, the, the idea of identity. As being called God's family, you're going to discover who you are in relationship to God and who we are in relationship to one another. There's not only an identity element, there's a a mission element. What are we to be about? This is a brand new church, and so people I meet with all the time go, great, what's your vision? Because every church needs a vision. What's your mission statement? Where are you guys headed? A lot of you are asking that question. Where is this thing going? You know what? A part of why this is so applicable is we want to look to the scriptures and say, where, where does our senior pastor think it should go? That's Jesus. Where does Jesus want us to go? That's where we're going to go. So there's a mission element. What are we to be about as the family of God? But there's also something else. What is forbidden? What are we not to be about? What are we not going to do? If you think about your own family, there are certain things that you are to be doing and certain things that are not allowed with each of these metaphors. And finally, expectations. What what can we anticipate as the family of God? 
So it all starts with identity. Who are we? Think about this. If, if we don't know who we are as a church, if we don't know who we are in context of this family, everything else that I say this morning can very, very easily be corrupted and turned into religiosity. Think about it. Mission turns into rules of what you have to do. What we're prohibited to do turns into suddenly, oh, well, you're not allowed to do that. And it just turns into religion, lifeless, Pharisee. The very thing Jesus railed against. So, so knowing who we are puts in context everything else that, that, that we're going to talk about. Uh, don't turn there, but John chapter 3. The story of a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, in some ways, had a lot of things going for him that was everything wrong with how a person should be relating to God. And he comes and he wants to meet with Jesus at night. And he comes to him and, and he starts to talk to him about some things. And Jesus just, just has this way of shoving everything else aside and going right to this guy's core need. And he tells him, you must be born again. Now, again, I'm not preaching a sermon on Nicodemus here, but, but think about this. Here's a guy who's, who's climbed to the top of the religious ladder. He knew his Bible better than anyone in this room. He did more and prohibited himself from doing more than most any of us in a lifetime will, will accomplish. And Jesus says, none of it is use, useful. You, you've missed the entire thing. You must be born again. He wasn't in God's family. There was no life there. It's, it's the equivalent of walking up to a person. I was hoping Jim Cook would be here today. Uh, anyone in the, oh, we, have, we have two nurses in the back. Um, ABCs, I'm going to put you on the spot right now because I forget this. I took a class, but I already forgot it. Actually, not really. But ABCs of, um, of CPR, what, what are they? You guys can... can... Okay, what does that mean? Okay, so you walk up. It's the ABCs of, CP, of, of, of CPR. But you're not air, breathing, and your heart is stopped. Does it do any good to, to, to treat the, the head wound? Absolutely not. Now, on most circumstances, you'd say, man, that's highly important. not a part of the family of God. They are not born again. And to say, here's how to improve your life. Get a little more church in you. Stop sinning. Follow God. Read your Bible. Pray once in a while. Tithe. Do you see how all that extra stuff, it makes no sense if there's no life. You must be born again. Here's why we're starting with family. This first metaphor is important. Because churches across America and the world, and the Bible predicted this would would be the truth, are filled with people who are both in the family of God 
and not in the family of God. And there's a certain element that we don't know who those are. Jesus told this story about weeds and wheat all kind of growing up together. And they're all kind of in the same field. Some are going to be kept as useful. Some are going to be thrown away and burned is the the language he uses to describe that. And And within our churches, I went to church and I wasn't in God's family. Many of you have a testimony where you say, yeah, I went to church. Glenn Miller, he's going to be back next week, by the way. He's home from Cambodia. The globe-trotting Glenn Miller will be uh, speaking to us next week. But Glenn's testimony is, yeah, I went to church for a long time because that's what you did. What was Glenn's vision of church? It was fuzzy, rabbit ear antenna TV, right? It wasn't high def. It wasn't clear. He had no idea of what the family of God was really all about because he was dead. He had no life. Every, uh, let me just read first, you can just write these down. First Peter 1, 3. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture today. You can, you can keep up with me if you want. Uh, we're going to be flying. First Peter 1, 3. God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You must be born again to be in God's family. Again, in Galatians 3, 26. You are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a physical being born that none of us had anything to do with, right? And we were physically born, and God knew that we needed a family. Every child's greatest need is not some new toy, even clothes or shelter. Their greatest need really is a family. And God knew that, and so he, he, he provides family for them. Now, spiritually, think about this. A part of what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, I was reading this uh, while watching the wind blow this week. He says the wind is, is, is like the spirit and the spirit is like the wind. And just like the wind blows wherever it wants and you don't know where it's going or where it came from, so it is with the spirit of God. And some of you have testimonies that say, man, uh, I was in church for a long time. And all of a sudden, it was like a light came on. And God made it abundantly clear who he was. He revealed himself to me and I became born again. That's how it was for me. Sitting in church, not wanting to make a single change in my life that day. And God said, today's the day. You will understand who I am and you'll come to me. And just like that, new life was given to me. Both in flesh and spirit, babies need a family. You can't possibly exist without one. God knew this and designed it that way. Now, some of you will need convincing of this, but families, every family that you have in here is a gift. It really is. Within the family, you learn. It's kind of this crucible for learning to love, learning to get along, learning to to belong, really, learning what it means to give. And that's the same that's true in the family. The spiritual family that, that you are born into when you're part of God's family is actually, get this, more important than your physical family because of this one simple fact. Your spiritual family will last forever and ever and ever. And if you could pull back and just, and just kind of bring all of time in front of you, your, your physical family would represent a tiny, tiny blip on the radar screen. But those who are born into the family of God have that family forever. 
And the Bible talks about you and I in this room as brothers and as sisters and as collectively children of God who've been provided a place to dine with God at His table and say, welcome into the family. And that's why in this room there should be no status. There should be no, well, he's my boss uh, Monday through, through Friday, and so in the church too I have to kind of... That's all wiped away. We are all children of God together. And there's, there's no distinction among us. Now, just like, um, just like your physical family, your spiritual family came with some amazing birthday gifts. I just want to walk through these really quickly. You got a family name when you were born into this family. You also received family likeness, family privileges, family access, family inheritance. Now, I need a few people to look up some verses, and we're just going to hear these out loud. So you need to be willing to stand up and read in a nice, clear, loud voice. I need someone to look up 1 Thessalonians 5.10. Who's got that for me? Rob, go ahead and do that. Um, I need 1 John 3.2. Can you get that? Thank you. I need uh, Revelation 21.4. Can you get that, William? One more. Colossians 4.3. Who's got Colossians 4.3? Thank you, Kern. When I call you guys out, just stand up and read it nice and loud. Just like uh, receiving a family uh, when, when you were born, again, you didn't do anything, you didn't earn anything to, to, uh, to, to get that. We have some, some relative newborns in here. The uh, Sloans are, are back here. And um, it's just awesome, isn't it, to think about a baby and just go, man, this baby didn't do anything for me. They're not productive. They don't mow the lawn. They never do the dishes. In fact, all they do really is create more work for me. And I love this kid to death. I just, I delight in this kid. It makes no sense at all. It's the same way with our Father in us. See, the enemy is going to come and say, you don't mow the lawn. Spiritually, you don't do jack for this family. You, you don't even know much at all. You, you can't even read the Bible once a week, much less once a day. And this, this sin problem, you keep stumbling and falling. You can't ever get this right. You know what you do with all that? You just, you just agree with the enemy on that point and go, praise God for grace. You're right. You're absolutely right. I keep stumbling in the same areas that I should be running in by now. I, I can't really get my act together. Praise God for Jesus that says, you're my kid now. Nothing ever is going to change that. When you are born into God's spiritual family, you receive the family name. Now, some people think that Christ was Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. Um, it's not really actually accurate. Um, but, but interestingly, we have kind of adopted that name, haven't we? We're Christians. We're, 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 we're little Christ. We're, we're, we're to, to mimic Christ. And it's a pretty powerful thought to think that everything we do all the time is on display of what a Christian looks like. When, when you come clean to your family or, or you say to your co-workers or your classmates, hey, I'm a Christian. They now look at you and say, here is what a Christian acts like then. Let me watch. Let me see what Christian, Christianity is all about. And they're reading you. Again, you've heard this maybe, but they'll never pick up a Bible, but they'll read you left and right. They'll look at you intently. Oh, that guy just got uh, reamed by the boss. How's he going to respond? 
Man, that person just got the biggest letdown and got overlooked. How are they going to respond? Man, that person just was proven right. How's he going to respond? They're watching you. They're reading you. We take on the name of Christ when we become a Christian. In likeness, the passage we just looked at said that we have life. God's Spirit gives life, not just to our spirit, but to our mortal bodies. And that's a part of what we gain when we become a Christian. There's privileges as well. Bradley, would you come up here for one second? There's privileges to being in the family of God. Come here, Bri. One of the privileges is this. If you were to just start doing a study on this, you would see that His grace, His kindness, His patience, His glory, His wisdom, His power, His mercy are all freely ours. Given to us. The moment that you accept Christ. Now I'm going to try to do this without choking up too much. But you know what else we have is access. This passage here in Romans 8 says, We now call Him Abba, Father. Let me just ask you a question. Is this what your relationship with God looks like? You just come and cling to your dad. Because you know what? This is the access we have right here. That's what Abba, Father means. It means that you get to walk up to God anytime, any day. And without shame, guilt, worry about mowing the lawn, you get to just come and say, man, I just need a hug. Thanks, Bradley. You're a good hugger. We have, we have access to God. And where all these passages come into play is this. We also have an inheritance. You and I have been given an inheritance. This is a part of our identity. You've inherited something. Here's at least what you've inherited. 1 Thessalonians 5.10. Who has that one? Go ahead, Rob, real loud. Okay, the first part of our inheritance is that we will be with God forever. If you're taking notes and want to write these down, also write down 1 Thessalonians 4.17. We will be with God forever. That's a part of what our inheritance is. Who has 1 John 3.2? Yeah. Okay, when he appears, we'll be like him. Here's the second part of our inheritance. We will be completely changed to, to, to be like Christ. Another passage that says this is 2 Corinthians 3.18. I won't read it, just write that down. Uh, thirdly, who has Revelation 21.4? Stand up and read that, William. Okay, there's an old order of things. We're experiencing it right now. Wouldn't you anticipate that being with God forever should be all of that? Free from tears, free from pain, free from betrayal, free from rejection. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what it means to be with God forever. That's a description of heaven. Uh, Colossians 4.3, stand up and read that real loud, Corinne. Okay, 
the, the idea there is this, that we'll get to share in Christ's glory. It says that right here in Romans 8 as well, that we as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, indeed, if we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Isn't that remarkable? This one that says, this is my name, I will not share it with another. It says, as a family of God, as, you, as we rope in, we get to, to reign and rule. Now, there's all kinds of rewards mentioned throughout the Bible. Tons of them. If some of you are reading the Bible maybe for the first time this year, start just paying attention to that. God has promised us rewards in the next life. Um, the highest compliment, the highest achievement that you and I can aspire to in this life is to be a part of the family of God. Highest achievement. And some of you go, well, that's not enough. I don't know that you really understand what it means to be a part of the family God, uh, of God, if that's true. Secondly, I want to talk about mission. What on earth are we doing? What are we supposed to be about? If we're a part of the family of God, what are we supposed to be doing? 1 Timothy 3.15 says this, If I am delayed, he's writing to Timothy, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church. You will know how people ought to act as God's household. How can we know? Because God has told us. Now, none of, none of us in this room can, can be in God's will if we are not in community. None of us in this room can be in God's will if we're not in community. I didn't say community groups. Okay? Community groups is how we have chosen to take the family of God at this location, which is rather large, even though we're a small church, we're a tiny church from where I came from. This is a smaller church, but you know what? It's hard to be involved in everyone's life here. That's why we said let's break it down even smaller and meet in someone's home and really get to know each other. Really get to read and go, man, I can tell something's wrong with you. What's wrong? Well, my world's falling apart. That's what's wrong. Well, let us as family come around you and support you and be in community. That is how God designed it. Just like it's ludicrous to imagine a brand new baby placed in the world and say, you're cold, fine, go buy a coat and get a jacket on for Pete's sake. You're hungry, drive to 7-Eleven, it's less than a mile away. Neither would God say, welcome to the family, welcome to Christianity, good luck. He just wouldn't do that. That doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't work physically, it doesn't work spiritually either, and yet sometimes people do that. Here are at least four things that, that we ought to be about as a church. And this, this is you individually, and this is us corporately doing this. Number one is to stay committed and connected to the family of God. Part of our mission as a church is just staying committed and connected to each other. And there are forces working against this, aren't there? Driving us apart, saying, no, you can do it alone. It's too hard. That person is too annoying. You can't possibly ever quite be with them for a long time. So just go on and move somewhere else or stop going to church altogether. People who are careless about their fellowship soon begin to have a spiritual life that starts to wind down. One of the things as a youth pastor that I, that I watched for was attendance. I never gave a gold star. I never kept an exact weekly thing. But I watched who came and who didn't come. And when students didn't come for a while, I wanted to know why. 
Maybe I had said something that offended them. Maybe they hated the, the youth group. Maybe someone in the group wasn't treating them well. And as a good shepherd, I need to deal with that person who wasn't treating that one well. And they just chose to leave or slip out. But most often, people who don't attend a local church, people who start to drift away in fellowship, it's a sign of, of, a, of a deeper spiritual sickness going on. The enemy has picked that one off and convinced them, you have nothing to offer that family. They don't really love you. This is all going to turn out just the same as it did last time. So you staying committed and connected to this congregation or whatever congregation that preaches the gospel is imperative to being a part of the family of God. The Bible assumes membership in a local body of believers. The only two exceptions to this are someone who is under church discipline and they have been removed from the community as a means of discipline, as a means of restoration to bring them back into fellowship, or those who are in gross sin. Every other child of God, it is assumed that you will be a member, an active, vital member of God's household, the family, the local church. That's the normative Christian life. There are those today that would say, that's a thing of the past. I can get great speaking, way better than you, Dave, online with my podcast. There's phenomenal worship available at the click of a button for 99 cents a song. And I've got my Bible. And I, it says the priesthood of all believers. Why would I need anyone else? Because God's plan from day one has been to do this thing together. Isn't it easier to love people sometimes when you don't really know them? You know what it is? It's relational fantasy. They think I'm great. And I don't know them well enough to have heard that they don't think I'm great yet. They always agree with me. They this, they that. And because you don't know each other well enough, what happens is you can just stay kind of at arm's length, politely away from across the street, exchange a couple gifts at Christmas time. That's not the community that God desires for His church. Secondly is to love and to build up the church. Listen to 1 Peter 2.17. Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. That would be a great verse to memorize as a church. 1 Peter 2.17. Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. That's how we're described to one another as brothers and sisters. Thick and thin. With family. It's like the Godfather or something. We're to love each other. Love and build up the church. Notice it says, love the church, don't use the church. All of us know relationally and on some level what it means to be loved by someone, what it means to be used by someone. I would venture to say this. If, if a person habitually says this, yeah, I'm not going to that church because it's, it's too big. I just don't feel cared for. I'm not going to that one because it's too small. There's no programs. It starts to sound a little bit like, you know, too hot, too cold of the porridge, you know, and, and it's all about me and, and I just can't fit in and someone offended me there and, and uh, you know, the parking lot's just messed up over there and, I mean, it's the silliest thing, right? Wouldn't you venture to say that person's probably using the church? They may claim to be in the family of God. They love God, but they say, oh, I don't love the church. Love the church, don't use the church. People who say, I love God, but the church has let me down, so I'm going to not be a part of it. 
I would say this to, to, to you, if that's you here this morning. Of course it has. Of course the church has let you down. It's filled with sinners like you and like me. It's filled with imperfect people who are on a journey trying to get this thing right by God's grace, taking it kind of a step a day at a time. And God doesn't let us off the hook. It's not a biblical idea to say, I love God. I'm just going to love God and ignore the church. 1 John 4.20 says this, If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? Here's the principle. We love God by loving each other. You say you love God, show it by how you love your brother and your sister in Christ. It is so easy to say, I love God. It's really hard to love you people. And you would say, yeah, likewise. That's why we need God in this deal. We love God by the way that we love each other. So not just love the church, but also build up the church. We're going to talk more about specifics of this later on. But, uh, but in short, I want to say a couple of things. God is not giving up on the church. Matthew 16, 18, he says, Jesus talking, I will build my church. It's Jesus' church. It's not Dave's church, Glenn's church, or your church. It's Jesus' church, and he says, I am going to build it. So if you want to get on board with what Jesus is doing, if you want to be a little Christ, build a church. That's what Jesus is doing. That's a part of our mission as a church. Here's another thought, just freebie, kind of to overarch our, our whole series here. We tend to, in America, think about our church, meaning Neighborhood Bible Church, and not Church of the Chimes down the street. Not Blossom Valley Bible Church down the way. Not South Hills over here or Westgate or Valley. But you know what it is? We are the church. The Universal Capital C Church. So that means that when one part of our family is hurting, we would, we would look to come around that and say, we want to come grieve with you. Is there anything that we could possibly do that would, that would help you? And if another church is growing and having all kinds of success and people are getting saved, we don't go, well, gosh, we're not having that. We celebrate that and say, praise God for that. The family of God's growing. Our mission is being carried out. God is moving in our church. South Bay, however you want to define our church. Loving and building up God's family which is the church, accomplishes several things. It identifies you as a genuine believer. John 13, 35, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You ever have people ask you, why do you go on a Saturday? I was here yesterday, and we had an amazing, not-so-young couple in our congregation, in our midst today, cleaning up all the redwood debris that was out here in the pouring down rain. And I just thought, man, this makes no sense unless God's inside you and you love the church. And they were just out there serving. No one told them to do it. They just saw a need and they just said, man, we've got to get this debris out of here. We have the gathering of the saints tomorrow. I don't care if it's rainy and windy. We've got to get this thing done. So I politely waved and drove on. No, I'm just kidding. I stopped. Just kidding. What a joy to just be out there just like, yeah, I was thrilled because I, I was planning on doing it. And someone beat me to it, so I just jumped in and we're, and we're doing this thing. Love and, and, and build up the church. 
It also moves us when we build up and love God's church out of our self-centeredness, our isolation. 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. And so we ought to give up our lives for, catch the language, our brothers and sisters. It's not just about being nice. It's about giving up our lives. Being in a family, in a real family, physically, in a spiritual family, develops muscle. Doesn't it? Develops character. You don't always get your way in your family. At least I didn't in mine. And my kids don't in ours. Finally, it keeps us from backsliding. Listen to Hebrews 3.13. You must warn each other every day while it is still called today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. The whole idea, the whole illustration of mind your own business is not a Christian concept. We are called and commanded to be involved in each other's lives. And that runs counter to everything American and individual about us. But as Christian community, we're called to be in each other's lives. I've watched this work amazingly well. We had a group of college kids who saw their college brother totally wayward. In essence, being attacked by a lion. That's what it says the enemy is like a crouching lion seeking someone to devour And the fact that we were at the San Francisco Zoo a week before that happened, and I sat there and marveled watching the exact Siberian tiger eat his lunch, and I made this remark, how can anyone survive an attack by this thing in the wild? If there weren't bars here, I'd be dead. That's how the enemy is described of of us as Christians, seeking someone to devour. You know what it is? It's someone getting involved in their life and saying, I love you way too much to let you just be eaten. I'll just mind my own business. I watched these college kids come along and basically have an intervention. They said, you are messing up and we love you way too much. I don't care if you hate our guts. We love you way too much to let this continue. You know what the response was? Anger. Defensiveness. You're wrong. You know what the end result has been? It's been a couple months now. Restoration. Deeper community. That's family. It was powerful to watch. Thirdly is this, the, the one another's. I'm not going to read all the one another's that I could read, but look up, type in to BibleGateway.com, one another, and click search. And just start to learn about the one another's in Scripture. Here are just some highlights. Be devoted to one another. Watch the language. In brotherly love. Here's another one. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. And probably the capstone, one that just kind of overarches everything, John 13, 14 says this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, Jesus, have washed your feet, so you also should wash one another's feet. That's a part of what we're to be about, is the one another's. What's forbidden? What is prohibited for us as family members of God? There are some other one another's, okay? There's one another's that we're supposed to be doing. There's other one another's that we're forbidden from doing. We're prohibited as children of God from doing. In Romans 1, it says they were inflamed for lust for one another, treating one another improperly. That's forbidden. Therefore, here's another one. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. In James, it says, Brothers, do not slander one another. Start to do another study that says, What are all the things we shouldn't be about? A second thing we're prohibited from doing is forsaking meeting together. 
Some of you have had such bad family situations. It's easier to make up an excuse of why not to come home for Christmas or go to that family function or whatever than to deal with what's awaiting you there. So you just start to check out. Wouldn't you agree with me that that family is not perfectly healthy if that's happening? If you're looking for excuses of why not to go home, and I just don't want to be reminded of it. I just, I'll stay here. Uh, it's work. It's, you know, I mean, whatever. Not healthy. Hebrews 10:25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It is imperative, family, that we are together. Not just necessarily even once a week, but together serving, playing together, grieving together, living life together. And that leads us finally to the expectations. What is it that you can anticipate as a person who's in the family of God? Again, Romans 8, life. Life begins when you become a family member of God. Something else that it brings up here is sufferings. Romans uh, 8.17 The idea that that we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His suffering, in order that we may also share in His glory. Here's some of what the suffering includes. There's a cost to being involved in this church, isn't it? Some of you have sacrificed immensely to get this thing off the ground. You've given of yourselves. Not because it's been asked, but because God's put it on your spirit to do so. You've sacrificed rights, preferences. You've been generous. You've had desires that said, go this way. You've laid that down, counted the cost, and said, for the sake of this church, for the sake of Jesus, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to pick up these desires and these preferences. Some have moved careers, shifted careers altogether because of the call of Christ. We're going to sing a song in just a moment about surrender. In fact, I'd like the band to come on up. This idea of surrender is saying, God, you're the Father. I don't really want to go do chores. It's Saturday morning. I'd rather hang out. But I know you love me. I know you care for me. And you are asking me to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to surrender my will. I'm not going to rebel against you. I'm going to go with your plan because I trust you. Some of the trials that you may be going through might be the discipline of God. Don't ever count out the fact that, oh, I'm going through trials. Maybe it's God's discipline. Again, listen to this family language. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5. And you have forgotten that the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons or daughters. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Part of what you can accept from God is discipline when you're doing wrong stuff. It goes on to say, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? I want to close with a a word of prayer. And... um, If you want to take the time to read this, read the church at Laodicea. It's found in Revelation 3, and you can just read about that church. And that's a church that has this this connotation of of sonship that I think was a neat tie into today. I want to close in a word of prayer, and I'm just going to read from Psalm chapter 5. 
because it's a fitting prayer as we go to worship right now. Pray with me. O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I will never pray to anyone but You. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to You and wait expectantly. O God, You take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the slightest sin. Therefore, the proud will not be allowed to stand in Your presence, for You hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Because of Your unfailing love, I can enter Your house. With deepest awe, I will worship at Your temple. Lead me in the, path, in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Tell me clearly what to do and show me which way to turn. With your heads bowed still, I just want to make mention of the fact that we are going to worship right now. Some of you may need to slip out. The kids are in here, so you don't need to worry about a time there, but I don't want to rush this. The band is scheduled to sing three songs, all of them fitting. Some of you need to return to God and need to understand that He has arms open waiting for you, longing for you, the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, to come and be made right. Some of you may need to be born again. Some of you may have never made a decision, a statement of faith, to just place your trust in the work of Jesus Christ. As we worship, I just want to invite you. If you'd like to, you could come to the front. You could come kneel at the front. Just kneel down at the stairs. Someone will come and and pray with you. Maybe you need to accept Jesus this morning. Maybe you need to return to Him. God, would you just have free reign to move as we sing to you, as we listen to you. Amen.